you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. going to look at the first six verses of Hebrews 3. We we, we may get a little further on down, but we're going to focus in on these first six verses. Where God's word says to us, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful to In all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us this morning. Now, graduating from high school is a huge milestone for uh, any American uh, teenager. Uh, Gabby and Harrison, uh, you and your fellow graduates are about to enter a phase of unprecedented freedom like you've never experienced before and may not experience again in this life. I can think of of no other time in my life that I was uh, master of my own time than when I was in college. And uh, boy, I long for those days again. But but both of you are going to college and you're going to be uh, without your parents' daily supervision. And I know that that, uh, I'm sure, I know Sarah and I uh, feel a little trepidation about that. And I'm sure Ben and Julia uh, worry about that as well. Because uh, now, all of a sudden, Gabby and Harrison, you will be responsible for getting up and getting to class and for carving out time to study. Uh, Harrison especially, who I don't think he can still work an alarm clock. But maybe he'll learn that skill in college. Uh, You'll be master of your own curfew. So nobody's going to tell you when you have to be home and go to bed. Uh, so it'll be up to you to make good choices about your uh, daily habits. Um, now, this, these things are true. I mean, we could go on the list as long of things that you're going to be responsible for now that, that uh, you're going to have to make good choices about. But this applies to your spiritual life, as we could say as well or even more so to your spiritual life. You both have been raised in the church uh, from an early age. Both of you have been taught Christ and the gospel all your lives. And now it's up to you to make that faith on your own, uh, to make that faith your own as you live on your own, to practice it because it's your own choice and not just something that you're expected to do. You will have to decide to get up on Sunday morning and go to church to attend RUF. And I know both those colleges that where you're going have uh, Reformed University fellowships and uh, Bible studies that they offer to freshmen and, and others. You're going to be responsible to choose Christian friends. And uh, you're going to have to make those choices when you will be surrounded 
by a community that largely rejects these things. And that's the challenge that you face. It's no secret that our college campuses are not friendly places for Christianity. The professors will teach against it, and there will be very few of your fellow classmates who will have embraced Christ themselves or who will carry on the faith uh, that they were given by their parents. You will be encouraged by the environment to which you're going to neglect your Christianity, if not reject it completely, that faith that's been handed down to you by your families and by your fellow church members. And with these things in mind, I can think of no better text to consider than the text before us this morning, Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. But not only Gabby and Harrison, but all of us here today, we are all tempted to neglect or even reject Christ, Christ because it is increasingly difficult to be a follower of Christ in the environment in which we live these days. We are constantly called to compromise our faith. And it isn't easier. Uh, it, it doesn't get any easier with the trend, the direction our culture is going. It's much easier to take the path of, less, uh, of least resistance, to go along with the culture, or to make our Christianity compatible with the culture. And the message here in Hebrews chapter 6 is a timeless message because the same thing was going on with these people. Uh, the, the, the people to whom the writer of Hebrews was, was communicating with, they were, like us, living in a sinful world where Jesus was not acceptable. Uh, it was hard for them to be Christians in their culture. They faced persecution for being Christians in their culture. And the temptation for them was to go back to Judaism, uh, to go back to the religion from which they came. That was the path of least resistance for them. That was a, a religion that was accepted by the culture at large. It was not a persecuted religion as Christianity was in those days. And so they were just thinking, let's leave this difficult faith and go back to the old ways. Now the message, of course, here, as we said, was ti is timeless because in this broken, sinful world in which we live, Jesus has never been acceptable. And he's not going to be acceptable until he comes again and makes everything right when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. They will see the acceptableness of Jesus then and only then unless the Lord shines the light in our hearts and helps us to see it ourselves. Now there are even a lot of people in church who are trying to make Jesus and Christianity more acceptable to the world. They dress Jesus and Christianity up in the trappings of the world to try and get people to jump on the bandwagon. And I believe that the reason that they do so is because they are actually ashamed of Jesus and what the Bible teaches. Jesus isn't fashionable in our world today. So we need to make him fashionable, many people believe. And there is a danger when you do this because in doing so, you actually lose Jesus. You, you make him be something that he's, he, he's not. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. 
And he goes on to say, Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And he goes on to argue and he quotes a verse and says, Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Even though it's folly to people out in the world, even though it's unfashionable and unacceptable, he says, boast in the Lord. And that's the question before us today. Will we be faithful to the Jesus of our Bibles? Will we follow him week in and week out? Gabby and Harrison, will you make the faith your own by choosing to live as disciples of Christ when no one is requiring it of you? Or will we, like them and them, Will we go along with the world around us, following the path of least resistance? Well, these people in Hebrews 3, as we said, were tempted to turn from Christ. And the remedy here that is given is a command. Consider Jesus. Look at him. And I want to do that today. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Give him some careful consideration. Consider him closely, and that's what we're going to do this morning. So we want to ask the question, who is Jesus? Who does he tell us Jesus is? First he says that Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. <clears throat> the word apostle it means one who is sent. Uh, we talk about the apostles, the disciples, and Paul. Uh, they were witnesses of the resurrection. The word's used a little different here. Uh, Christ is sent from God. He represents God to humans. He took on human flesh. He is the Son of God. He is, he is God incarnate. He, he became a man and dwelt among us, as John says in chapter 1. No one has seen God at any time, John says there. But we have beheld his glory because we have seen Christ, the only begotten God. So he's the apostle. He's the one sent from God. Uh, he has a very special place, being the son of God, which we'll get to in a moment. But he's also a high priest. The high priest we uh, confess. Whereas the apostle was sent from God to earth, to human beings, the high priest does just the opposite. Represents humanity before God. And what Jesus Christ did in his life, death, and resurrection was, was take our place. He was our substitute. He fulfilled the law where we failed to do so. He paid the penalty of the law uh, that was due for our sin. And he rose from the grave, conquering death, our great enemy. So he represents us before God. Not only does he represent God to us, he's the apostle and high priest we confess he's very important in that respect, in representing, uh, being a mediator between God and man. <clears throat> and he goes on in verse 2 and says that he is faithful to the one who appointed him as apostle and high priest, just like Moses was faithful. Uh, Moses was a, a faithful servant of God. <clears throat> and this is the person to whom particularly the, the audience of the first writer, of the, of, the, of the original audience, they were tempted to turn back to Moses. And he goes on to say that 
Both Jesus and Moses were faithful, but Jesus is much more glorious than Moses. And he says several things about him in respect to this. He says that Jesus is greater than Moses, has more glory than Moses, just like a builder or an architect has more glory than the house itself. My father-in-law is an architect, and, and I think he's an excellent architect. I really enjoy seeing the things that he builds because it's, it always looks fantastic. And he's so wise about uh, how he designs buildings. And we go around and look at all the many houses and buildings that he's done, and uh, we praise him. Uh, we, we say, this, this looks beautiful. We love this. It's great. And we're looking at the house and, and seeing how beautiful it is, but he's the one that thought it up. He's the one that designed it and put it all together. Well, somebody else nailed it together. But he goes and, and fixes it when they do it all wrong. And I know some of us uh, here are builders, and uh, you probably hate to see the architect coming because they're always complaining about how it's done. But you understand the point. Uh, Moses uh, is not as glorious as Christ. Moses is part of the house. Christ is the architect of the house, the church. Notice in verse 5, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Look at the prepositions. Moses was faithful in God's house. Jesus is faithful over God's house. Moses is a part of God's house, his church. Christ is over God's house. He's the head of the church. And he is faithful, uh, Moses is faithful as a servant. Christ is faithful as the son over the house. In a, in a household, the son would have the great favor. Uh, he would be over the house, in charge of the house. And that's what he's saying here about Christ. And then he goes on in verse 5 saying that Moses was testifying to the things that were to be spoken later. Now he's talking in reference here, he's, he's talking about Numbers 12. And you might remember the episode where <clears throat> Miriam and Aaron opposed Moses. And God uh, straightens them out. Let me read that little account for you. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has, not, has he not spoken through us also? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and to Aaron and Miriam, Come out, you three, to the tent of meeting. And the three of them came out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam, and they both came forward. And he said, Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. And those are the words that the writer of Hebrews picks up. With him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles, riddles, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. Now, Moses is defended by God here. And Moses is uh, obviously very glorious because God 
speaks to him face to face. He doesn't just give him dreams and visions to communicate uh, his messages. Uh, God doesn't just uh, give him dreams and visions. He speaks to him face to face. And that's a very privileged position. But it's not as glorious as Christ. Not even close. Because he was just testifying about things, verse 5, that were to be spoken later. We go back to chapter 1, right at the very uh, first verse. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, including Moses. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. See, Christ is being held up as greater than Moses because these people were tempted to go back to Moses. Now, we're not being tempted to go back to Moses but we're tempted to compromise with the world. We're tempted to water down our Christianity. We're tempted to create a Jesus in the image of the world that's really not like Jesus at all. And, and the same argument for us would be, why would you go away from Christ to something that's less than Christ? He is the pinnacle. He is the ultimate. He is the greatest. He is worthy of all glory. Uh, if, if you are part of the church, he has made you part of the church. He, he is the architect of the church. And he has authority over the church. Why would you go somewhere else? He is the one who is sent from God. He is the high priest who represents you back to God. Abandoning him is suicide. It's ridiculous. And that's why he's saying, don't give up. Don't neglect or reject Christ. Don't make him palatable to the world by watering down the good news of who he is and what he's done. The writer here is telling, to, telling us to consider what we are neglecting or even rejecting. This is the apostle, the high priest, the son of God who created the church through the sacrifice of his very own blood. And he goes on to say, looking at verse 7, He's quoting Psalm 95 now in, in 3, verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, he therefore, based on these things, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my, in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Here's the, here's the command. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if we indeed hold our original confidence firm to the end. You see, don't turn away. Don't harden your heart to Christ. Don't have an evil, unbelieving heart that rejects Christ, that rejects God and the provision that he's made for salvation. As he said in chapter 2, how, how are we going to survive if we ne neglect such a great salvation? But hold fast your confidence. In verse 6, hold fast your confidence in the boasting of your hope. See, Christianity is not fast food. You know, we like to go to McDonald's or 
some fast food, and we get it quick. You know, we I always uh, think it's a little funny when people go and get impatient at McDonald's. You know, you get in the line, especially that one across from the casino. I think they just do a lot of business there. And if you go late at night, it's packed. And, and, and people will start honking their horns. Like, you couldn't go home and cook a burger this fast, uh, even with the delays you're experiencing. See, Christianity is not instant gratification. It's not a you-have-it-all-now religion. It's something about the future, something great in the future, a, a future hope as the writer of Hebrew goes on to say later, that's an anchor for the soul. We have to remember that. that it's, it's not now. There are some great things about being in relationship with Christ now, but the better part is later, that which is to come. That's what we look forward to. So we should not be discouraged that the, that the church, that Christianity, that Christ is not on the cutting edge of popularity in our culture. It's never going to be. We need to accept that. But one day, one day, he's going to make everything right. This one who is the only Savior of sinners. He is the only one who can promise an eternity uh, in the new heavens and new earth, forgiveness of sins, uh, freedom from the bondage to sin, and then one day freedom from even the presence of sin. And he's going to make all things new, including us and this whole creation that he's made. Jesus is someone to brag about. Being a Christian is something to be proud of and and brag about. But it may not be cool in this world, but it's going to be cool in eternity. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us to not neglect, reject, water down, be apathetic about the gospel and about you. Lord, help us to love you more and more, to loosen our grip on the things of this world, the things that we uh, turn into idols and worship instead of you. And Lord, may we embrace you, come to know you, and to love and appreciate who you are and what you've done. Help us to taste and see that you are good. Help us, Lord, to, to understand and grasp and feel these things in our souls. Lord, we love the things that give us instant gratification, especially here in America. And and Lord, a lot of times those things pull us away from you. We would rather have those silly things that are not lasting and are not that great anyway, not compared to you. And Lord, help us to understand the mistake that we're making And help us to have a taste for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.